The flooding tunnel's over that ridge. We'll get in that way. What was your job when you were based here? Sanitation. Sanitation? Then how do you know how to disable the shields? I don't. I'm just here to get Ray. People are counting on us. The galaxy is counting on us. Solo, we'll figure it out. We'll use the Force. That's not how the Force works. Oh, really? You're cold? Come on. I know I don't know much about you. I'm racing through my head all thoughts about you. Yeah. You know I never try to hurt you. What up, Pod Chat listeners? This is one of your hosts, Jordan Smith. Super jazzed up because we have finally gotten to the last, well, maybe not the last, but the most recent trilogy in the Star Wars canon, uh, The Force Awakens. We are going to start covering this show. I am joined by, of course, Roger Brandstetter, who is strong with The Force. What up, Raj? The Force is woke. The the force is officially woke. Um, and oh no, I just want to provide a little bit of a refresher. The pot chat show is brought to you by just your everyday group chat conversations, uh, talking about random things from movie, sports, entertainment, uh, dabbling in politics when we're just frustrated and ready to throw things. Um, all of 2017. <laughs> essentially yeah we're about to roll into the new year and i think a lot of us are we're thanking the the jedi gods or whatever they worship that we are moving on midichlorians <laughs> thank the midichlorians for that um so the force awakens this is the first movie to drop from the disney slash lucas film um I guess tentpole. Uh, Disney bought Lucasfilm, I believe, in thirteen or fourteen. Um, I can't remember the exact year, but it was for like four billion dollars. And The Force Awakens brought in like one and a half billion or so already. So they, I think, they're super close to already recouping the investment that they made there, which is pretty astounding. Let me help. Uh, Google yields that Disney bought Lucasfilm in 2012 for a cool $4.05 billion. Billion with a B, folks. Yeah, there's a picture of Bob Iger of and, uh, and, and sad George Lucas signing it. <laughs> uh, I don't know why he's sad. George Lucas. He became a $4.05 billionaire. Yeah, and I'm sure there's some language in that contract that still pays him pretty handsomely for the ideas, basically, for his um, his world that he has created. I don't think he would sign over that just to, just to make a cool buck, you know? I remember at the time a lot of people argued that this is sort of like making Grandpa hand over the keys to his vintage Ferrari. Like, it's a really hot IP, and uh, there's a lot of argument that uh, George Lucas's hand kind of made that uh, episode one through three trilogy not as good as it could have been. 
and Disney is a pretty, pretty, pretty uh, well-regarded filmmaking company. And so, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously there has been a, a presence uh, in like Disney parks specifically uh, of Star Wars stuff for a long time. And they've, I think they've spread the fan base. And I think it'd be hard to argue that between this and uh, the latest film that Disney hasn't handled the vintage Ferrari, I guess, in this metaphor, uh, pretty handily. Yeah, I mean, they're still definitely keeping it in tip-top condition, if not making some improvements. Um, Speaking of, I remember going to Disney as a kid. There was a Star Wars... MGM Studios. Yeah, 3D ride. So that was something that they had already. Okay. Yes. uh, Here's a disclosure, I guess, for everyone listening. I used to work at Disney World. I did the Disney College program uh, in 2010. And so anytime Disney or Disney parks specifically are brought up, I'm sort of, uh, I just don't really shut up about it. And I'm a know-it-all on that topic. You know what? Disney's pretty great. So that's okay. And they are coming out with a Star Wars world. Um, I'm not sure how fun it would be to stay in a Star Wars theme hotel if you were very effing out the window. (laughs) But I mean, if you're there and it looks like it's space, that might not be as fun. But (laughs) if if they come down, that's actually in uh, in Elon Musk's uh, field. I don't know if that's so much Disney. Oh yeah, probably. Um, but I guess I would guess they're not going to do like a Disney hotel, or I'm sorry, a Star Wars hotel or anything. But I know that they're doing a whole like Star Wars themed area at at least one, if not both, of the U.S. parks. So the Hollywood Studios now, what was MGM, is going to have like whole Pixar Land, and then um, also a Disneyland. Or I, I keep saying Disney says Star Wars, uh, a Star Wars themed <laughs> land. God, Disneyland. That's Disneyland. already been there. Yeah. For, um, too many let, beers in. They're going to have a lot of a lot more Star Wars stuff there. Let's jump back to the George Lucas part of this because I want to I want to bring a little teensy, maybe not so hot of a take here. Um, it probably would anger some of the hardcore Star Wars fans and the fanboys who are just really loyal to George Lucas and his creation. But by handing things over to Disney, giving them the keys to the Ferrari, they have J.J. Abrams directing this first Force Awakens movie. And if we were doing this podcast maybe last year, I would say George or J.J. Abrams was the best director who has ever directed a Star Wars film. Um, but after seeing The Last Jedi, I have to give that nod to Ryan Johnson. But J.J. Abrams, I we got to give him super props here. He'll be back to um, to do the ninth Star Wars movie. But I, I liked what he did here. I was a little bit skeptical at first, but I really enjoyed his movie. Yeah, uh, this is definitely, uh, I, I mean, I was, I didn't really know necessarily what to expect getting into this movie. Uh, I remember being very like, stupid, excited to go to this um, and to the point where like I was willing to settle on just like terrible seats in the theater to see it and it was completely worth it. And uh, I, I know a lot of people, I think probably both of us included, 
thought that this was a little derivative of a new hope is still more star Wars stories, uh, with all the current technology and directorial methods and that we have now. And it, it was, it's awesome. I really, really like this movie. Yeah, it's been, I mean, talked about the world over of how derivative it was of A New Hope. But at the same time, it kind of gives you that updated, like you said, technology boost that you you kind of wish you'd gotten with the original Star Wars movies. Like if somebody could remake those, but like with the same actors and um just kind of give it an upgraded boost, like what George Lucas wanted to do when he added like extra scenes and stuff. Once the technology caught up, that's what this film really was. I mean, they, they had a formula, uh, hero stranded on a desert planet realizes that they're in for something bigger, flies away on the millennium Falcon, um, blows up large world destroying machine. And, saves the day um but there's a lot of elements in here that are really different from a new hope as well yeah i would definitely agree with that i think that um i think the biggest thing that hit me in the in the rewatch of this was that um because it's a newer movie with um not just actors but writers and directors and other production staff that are a little bit closer in age to me. I think that a lot of the uh, the humor hit a little bit better for this more than any of the other movies. Now I'm not sure if that's because of the the other stuff that I just mentioned, like everyone being closer to the same demographic as me, or just because yeah. they're trying to make this more accessible generally to people. Yeah, excluding, obviously, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, and Harrison Ford, there was only, I believe, one other actor in this movie that was acting at the time that the original Star Wars movie came out, A New Hope, and um, let alone being alive. Like, some of these characters were not even born until well after Return of the Jedi came out. Um that actor, by the way, was Max von Sydow. Von Sydow? I'm not sure how to say it, but um, yeah, because he was in Flash Gordon, 1980, inspiration for future Star Wars films from George Lucas. So that's a little deep internet research nugget right away at the top, you know? Love a good nugget. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Abrams... I was a little bit worried because he did Star Trek already. I was like, oh, crap, are we going to get some of the same elements? Not that there's anything wrong with his Star Trek films. I actually think those are a lot of fun, and Chris Pine really nails them. But I was like, uh, how is he going to, you know, just mentally, you know, how do you keep those two projects separate? Uh, but he does a tremendous job. Um, I really like the first flight scene when they're in the Millennium Falcon. There's a lot of... Uh, like the zooming in from far away uh, camera trick and all that other stuff that they do with the camera flipping upside down. I thought that was like really classic JJ Abrams type of stuff. Yeah, dude, I'm glad you brought that up because I grasped onto that for this whole movie, like any of the like exterior flying shots of ships with it. I, I guess it sort of felt like a hand cam 
view from another ship of watching like the Millennium Falcon or um, later in the movie when we're looking at um, Starkiller Base, uh, it just it seemed like someone is like holding a hand camera and it was vintage J.J. Abrams. I mean, this is what we see in every one of his movies, but it suits Star Wars so well, especially in this movie. Um, and also, especially after seeing the other movies where it just you can tell that it's like models flying by you versus this one where it, it is CGI. Obviously, they're the enormous starships, but... Um, <laughs> may, may, <laughs> but Are you making, sure they're uh, not real? But given that this was uh, made in 2014-15, they look a lot more real, and uh, therefore the movie looks a lot more real. It's just a, a good look. I really liked it. Yeah, um, I really like that he, JJ, really put like his own his own touch on this movie. I think with a lot of directors, they might've been a little bit afraid of, you know, putting a little bit of themselves into like a big, big franchise like this. Like if you, you know, try to twist it and make it too much your own, then people are going to be like, okay, what's going on here? Like, I can just imagine like a Tim Burton directing this film and it coming out looking like, super wonka like i can actually not imagine that that sounds awesome though (laughs) um but i like that he did you know some of his own signature stuff you know he's generally when you think of you know jj abram signature directorial moves you think of like the sun flares and everything like that but um i'm glad he he was able to do you know some of the subtle or more subtle things yeah, for sure. Um, I I can't imagine how much pressure you would be under as an already established, like any director, I guess, to take over this franchise for this movie. Like coming back off of not like a not a, a loved trilogy in the first three, and to bring this back into the fold as the first Disney movie when you know that they're trying to make this like one of their tentpole IPs. Uh, to not just keep the millions of fans, tens of millions of fans that already love Star Wars, but bring in a whole new generation of like young kids, uh, plus just different demographics uh, than you think would love the first Star Wars movies. So yeah, so yeah, props to J.J. Abrams. Yeah, with I mean with J.J. Abrams and like Bad Robot Entertainment, you're pretty well aware of him um i think we'll have a a better comparison once we see ron howard's or what eventually turned into ron howard's solo film um han solo film not solo like by himself um because otherwise you have uh you know gareth edwards doing the um rogue one story and he's a relatively smaller like not as well-known director just yet the only thing he had to his credit uh that was like a major blockbuster was 2014's godzilla um and then obviously the last jedi is ryan johnson he i mean is relatively more known for like directing some episodes of breaking bad (laughs) so it's not like he is spielberg you know getting the nod yeah, that's still not a bad credit. Just 
for what it's worth. <laughs> Fair. Um, I like uh, Force Awakens as a whole. My thoughts on this are it's very it's very nostalgic. It it brings you back to you know uh, again what I imagined the first time somebody actually was in a movie theater watching Star Wars and how that felt and then going back again and watching it a second time in the theaters. Like this is definitely one of those movies that if you didn't see it in the theater, that it's kind of an experience that you missed out on. And I don't think, you know, you should miss out on seeing a star Wars movie um, in the theaters at all, because that's just kind of part of the part of the nostalgic. Uh, But I think, uh, I think the movie is concise and every scene and conversation really has like a purpose. So I think it was edited pretty damn well. There wasn't any uh, cutaway scenes or things that I thought were just completely unnecessary. And I was like, well, where's this portion going? You know? Yeah, I actually agree with that. I didn't really even think about uh, any excess scenes until now. Um, uh, In my opinion, the longer a star Wars movie is the better up to a point. I mean, I don't know if we're ever going to see like a three hour star Wars movie though at the pace we're at might be closer than we think, but there's so many people that love this franchise and love this universe um, that just want to see as much of it as they possibly can. Um, that being said, uh, I didn't notice any scenes in this that I was like, oh, that doesn't even belong or that everything seemed like it fit. Everything contributed to the story. Uh, even just throwaway shots for like just adding depth to characters or depth to motivations for them. Um, or just making you feel more immersed in the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm super passionate about Star Wars. Like, I would watch a five-hour movie about Star Wars, and I, I would enjoy every second of it, and I would want more. I'm already kind of upset that we only have one more movie coming up in this trilogy. Like, I know it's a good two years or so away, but I'm actually already upset that we're almost wrapped up with this trilogy and like that's how much i would just enjoy a super long three hour plus star wars movie i don't even care give it to me i have mentioned this a couple of times just in passing but you may want to check out i don't know if it's still on netflix but the clone wars series it's animated is not a terrible investment of your time is that on netflix I know that I watched it on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's still there. I might have to check it out. I, see, part of it is I, I would rather read about Star Wars than actually watch cartoons about it. And that makes me sound super old because I used to love cartoons as a kid. But Hey, man, they're pretty good. <laughs> it's, uh, it is uh, an animated series. I think there are two of them. I saw one of them. I think it was uh, the first one. I don't know if there's a second one that they did after um, after they like switched what the canon was. It, at some point, they got rid of a bunch of the extended universe stuff as part of the canon. Um, but w- one of the series is like I think I don't know how many episodes long it is. It, it's at least like twenty hours of just stuff, Star Wars stuff. So they talk about like. The huts. There's a bunch of stuff with um, uh, the the 
what are they Mandalorians? The people who have the same armor as um, Boba and Jango Fett. Uh, there's a lot more Count Dooku, a lot more Sidious. Uh, plus, it's the Clone Wars. That's, I think, one of the more interesting parts of the Star Wars lore. So, I don't know. Yeah. I want to check it out. Well, we're definitely going to get more of the Star Wars lore with the trilogy that they're handing to Ryan Johnson. So he's getting a Star Wars trilogy that doesn't have to do with the Skywalkers in any way. So who knows? They might have some of the same planets or take, you know, take place on a completely separate set of the galaxy. But I think they should consider it's like what we talked about when we were going through the prequels. They should consider hour-long drama for a tv series like 10 to 12 episodes a season of some some sort of star wars story i think that would be like i think that would surpass game of thrones in visual numbers because star wars is already a known commodity for three-ish generations of people to watch um i know amazon's looking for uh, a Game of Thrones like property. They're already talking about making a Lord of the Rings type of uh, hour long show over there. I mean, there's there's plenty of different people who could go after this. Apple, maybe. I know my they want to get their TV streaming service up. My guess, if anything, it's going to be Hulu just because Disney owns, I think, 30%. Plus, they just bought Fox. Who oh, owns they're it? also, Disney's yeah. trying to get their own thing set up. So, Never mind. Don't sell that to anybody, Disney. Keep it yourself and jumpstart that streaming yeah, yeah. service with a freaking bang. So my guess, if anything, uh, a Star Wars drama, uh, prestige drama like that would be on a Hulu, very much like a um, a Handmaiden's Tale or something like that. Um, yeah. And it might even be behind a more premium level paywall. I think that's part of the appeal of Game of Thrones is like you sort of have to pay extra to show you're a fan to watch it. Um, and, and that's sort of an unspoken thing among fans, but I think everyone sort of recognizes like, yeah, part of the reason why I'm paying this extra fee for HBO is because I love the show so much. Yeah, basically. I mean, there's there's a lot of great movies that HBO gets right away, but I'm... I will get HBO now for like three TV shows, maybe, you know, that that's just kind of the, the quality of television. And I mean, if it's $15 a month, then whatever. I freaking love Game of Thrones. I know you haven't watched it yet, but I'm telling you to watch it, please. Yeah. HBO still ends up being worth it for Silicon Valley for the movie releases and Westworld back pretty soon. Oh, yeah. And, and ballers, ballers too, I guess. <laughs> 100% ballers. Um, so back to The Force Awakens. Um, I, I was back at home, and I, I watched this out of order. So I watched this one before Return of the Jedi because I wanted to watch this movie with my mom because she hadn't seen it yet. And she's kind of the one that got me initially hooked on Star Wars in the first place because we had a VHS copy of Return of the Jedi. Uh, when I was growing up, so I'd watch that like a thousand times, and um, it, it how I know it was a great movie is that well, my mom will fall asleep like within the first thirty minutes of any movie. Like it doesn't <laughs> even matter what time of day it is, doesn't matter what kind of film it is. But she was awake for the entire time for the Force Awakens. I didn't have to look over and like 
nudge her or like do anything like that, yell at her. Um, this might be one of the best lines of the movie that wasn't actually in the movie. She goes, uh, if they show Luke at the end for like two seconds, I'm going to be pissed. And this was like, how pissed was she? (laughs) I was trying not to laugh. It was like maybe an hour or so into the movie. And I was like, shit, like (laughs) she, she might actually be pissed here because he literally shows up at the end of the movie for like 10 seconds and doesn't say a word. Yeah, and it's not even, like, a cool look either. He's just sort of grumpy. <laughs> yeah, he looks act- He looks pissed. Like, he's the one that's pissed in this situation. <laughs> I'm not totally convinced it's not Mark Hamill that's pissed. Like, I feel like he definitely wanted he wanted lines in this, but I don't know if, he, if J.J. wanted to give them to him. He recorded some stuff, like, a lot more than what was actually in the movie, but they they didn't keep it in the film they cut it all like the uh no that's the trailer actually i was gonna say that there's the the part where he talks about how the force is strong in his family but that's in the trailer and they kind of splice that together with his like speech to leia from return of the jedi well you win some you lose i guess yeah (laughs) um but yeah I want to chat a little bit about the um, the cast. So the I, they went the same route they did kind of in the original trilogy with casting some relatively unknown actors. Um, you, you have uh, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega. Uh, if you know you watch Girls or you know what, seen some other more low key indie films, you knew Adam Driver. Uh, Oscar Isaac for basically the same reason. You know, you're thinking like Inside Lewin Davis and like both of them, I believe, are in that movie, actually. Um, yeah, for sure. They're, I did not know any of these actors or actresses other than the original trilogy Star Wars actors. Um, I had heard of Ab- Adam Driver, but like that's only just, again, because of the HBO account and I've seen his name, but I hadn't really seen him in anything until this and I, I really did like that decision just because i mean they're obviously all very talented but also just to like put new faces into the universe that don't already have some other character already sort of printed over them i guess so uh, just i feel like if they would have put any more established actors in this it would have i don't know colored their character perhaps in a way that the audience would have seen them in a light other than as a Star Wars person. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen This Is Where I Leave You? Nope. Oh, okay. See, that's where I knew Adam Driver from. I think that was like the first movie I had ever seen him in. And he's pretty freaking great in that. Um, it's kind of like a, a family movie, like all these siblings come back together after their father pos- passes away. It has like jason bateman and Corey stoll and adam driver are all brothers i believe there's another brother um but yeah it's actually a pretty good cast you should watch it to be honest making notes <laughs> Ooh, i like dax shepherd coincidentally uh ben schwartz who was a voice consultant for bb8 maybe the the second best droid of all time 
Yeah. Um, but anyway, I like this cast. For some reason, when the casting was announced, I thought I had seen John Boyega in something before, or that I knew him from something. But I never figured out where I saw him before. IMDb is a helpful tool for these things. I looked through the IMDb and nothing really like sparked any memory. Like I feel like I would have to go back and does his name sound like someone else's name? I mean, his first name? Absolutely. (laughs) His last name? (laughs) Definitely not. Um, John Boyega. Yeah, this is just. I think this is where a lot of the the fanboy we'll get to this in the last Jedi because I'm definitely going to make a note of it, but there's been some fanboy outrage for the last Jedi. And part of that I pretty positive was started from this movie. Um, it's just, it's part of that alt right era that we're kind <laughs> of stuck in right now where there's like the a small, <laughs> yeah, a small percentage of the first order here led by general Hux who just don't want to see the, essentially the three main heroes of the story be a woman, a black guy and a Hispanic guy and the bad guys white, you know? So I think there's a lot of resentment in that, but at the same time, when I'm watching this movie for me personally, I'm, you know, seeing a little bit of myself in John Boyega being on the screen and not getting, you know, 10 seconds of Mace Windu in an earlier film and be like, see, that's who I would be, but not yeah, really I doing much. I think Disney definitely made a point to make this um, more inclusive in terms of having like a female lead. Like Ray is undoubtedly like the lead character um, and, Finn is another lead character and there were not any, I don't know. Ray is like the alpha protagonist. She's the Luke of, of this series. And there was not really a, a, like a black character other than Lando in the other movies. I I mean, Mace Windu, but he was not on the screen as much as, as Finn is in these. And, I think Disney went out of their way to make this more inclusive. And even as like the whitest male, I, I don't, it's not like I really even noticed this. I don't know how anyone could object to this and to include more fans uh, getting into these movies just because of the casting. I don't see how that's how anyone could object to that. And it makes the universe feel more rich. Like, of course there's different colors and genders of, of heroes in this universe. Yeah, and even in The Last Jedi, it's actually it's pretty great because I they add another character that I think is going to be pretty central going forward who is an Asian female. So it's it's pretty awesome that they do that. I mean, you still have the titular characters of Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill, so you can't be too upset. And um I don't I don't know. I, I understand, you know, in the in the 70s, maybe this is just me watching too much that 70s show about, uh, you know, how it was basically nerd culture in the 70s. Like, you were a geek if you liked Star Wars. But this is, well, when this film came out, 2015, Last Jedi, 2017. 
women and girls like Star Wars, you know? It's not something that is just for a smaller subsection of diehards who go to the theater that are, you know, dressed up in Darth Vader and Stormtrooper costumes. It is a everybody type of franchise. Everybody wants to go and enjoy these Star Wars movies, so... Yeah, I, I think they fully embrace that geek isn't really a derogative term in 2015, 16, 17, like it was uh, when people were first into these movies. So they included more people, more demographics that would like this, more uh, more characters that everyone can latch onto. And I think the movie is all the better for it. To quote Marshall Erickson, the only people who haven't seen the Star Wars, Ted, are the people who are in the Star Wars. That's because they lived it. <laughs> I got that line wrong, but it's true. The only people who haven't seen the Star Wars are the people that lived it. Um, let's talk about the best scene. What do you think was the best scene of this movie? There was a lot. It was hard to narrow this down. I managed Dude, to get... You keep asking me what the best scene is in all these movies. I never take notes on the best scene. I just have, like, all these other notes. <laughs> well, I mean, come on. You got to have a favorite part. Um, like, which one just gave you goosebumps or took your breath away? If, um... Hmm. The thing that sticks out to me in my mind in the four it was, is that opening scene when... They're landing on. I have it in the notes. Tuanel, that very the first the first damn scene on uh, when Kylo Ren lands and the stormtroopers are doing stormtrooper stuff and actually like they're just slaughtering people and they're not missing any of their shots. It's it's really brutal. Being real marksmen. <laughs> yeah, dude, that scene is it, it's like an actual Star War. It's not like the rest of uh, I think I think the literal first order was to get them shooting lessons. Yeah, dude, they were not missing many shots. They they're just deadlier anyway, uh, and they have a higher awareness rating anyway. Uh, it, when Kylo Ren freezes that blaster shot, I was just like, "Oh, this dude is the real deal." We have not seen that. He is he's crazy strong with the force. I love that his his lightsaber is like just erratic and unstable and his entire his entire aesthetic is just like super badass and that got me into the movie so so much and uh yeah i think that might be my favorite scene just because it made everyone just sort of sit up and pay attention yeah so not to get too spoilery but with those of you who are know crying fan outrage about a certain use of the force in the last jedi that you didn't quite agree with you're forgetting that in virtually every single star wars movie we see a new iteration of how the force can be used we see it you know in the earlier prequels when they're able to you know summon essentially the lightsaber from across the room or with the basically using objects to fight each other. Um, like with the force duel, I'm talking about like Count Dooku and Yoda. You have, you know, Luke using it to balance rocks, essentially. The force choke, the force lightning, 
And this part right here, we've never seen the force be used to literally stop a blaster shot and just suspend it there. Dude, let in- me tell you, dude, the entire scene, he he'd had a whole dialogue and then like let it hit a guy as he's walking away. Oh my god. Yes, he, like he has this whole like little speech and this back and forth and then makes the hard end, eye contact with Finn and then it hits a guy. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> you forget like when you're watching the movie, you forget that he stopped that bullet and it didn't just like disintegrate. Like, no, it's still like part of his consciousness is still like strong enough to be able to hold that bullet in place that still wants to move at rapid speed towards its target, which is just amazing. Yeah, that's a good scene. Like, right away getting super and Paul Star Wars. Is just like staring at this thing as he's being dragged past it. Yeah, that I think that might be my favorite. Like, the entire movie is awesome, and there's probably other more iconic scenes. The Han Solo and Kylo scene at the end is obviously very uh, heart-wrenching for a number of reasons, and the acting is really good in it. But this one uh, just... It's right in the beginning, and it just it, it's such a good scene. Yeah, I I agree. It's really good. I have two that are written down. Um, one that I had to include because it's mostly just a clip. Um, but it always it gives me goosebumps and it gets me a little misty eyed too. Is when Han and Chewie are back on the Millennium Falcon for the first time in thirty two years since the return of the Jedi and Han just turns to Chew or not turns, but Han goes to Chewie, Chewie or home. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Like it, it gets you a little bit misty eyed because that's what this film was supposed to do. It was supposed to bring back the original generation of star Wars fans, reintroduce it to, you know, a newer generation at the same time, but still provide that same, nostalgia factor uh, that you just you love and it's something that the prequels didn't really do as heavily uh there are definitely some elements of it but it was hard to do because it was a prequel trilogy so you i mean you can't obviously make callbacks you can only make you know connections that are supposed to show up in the future shout um, forwards yeah shout forwards <laughs> but i think my my true best scene um it, it has all the elements it's when ray is battling kylo ren be just before they actually start to get to the dueling when the when luke's lightsaber is stuck in the snow and kylo ren turns to it and tries to use the force to bring it to him it moves a little starts to nudge and then it flies out of the snowbank past Kylo Ren and right into Ray's hand. Like, and then you hear the, the perfect John Williams score that just gives you goosebumps. And goosebumps from you saying that. Right. And then (laughs) it it is literally a passing of the baton. Like that's, that's essentially (laughs) what that scene is. It's a literal passing of this baton to a new generation of star Wars fans, a new Jedi, a new just order and trilogy here. Um, and and then you just got to love when they actually start dueling and how it's, it's not as a, re- as refined of a battle as we've seen in star Wars films, because 
Ray has literally never handled a lightsaber before, and Kylo Ren just has this anger and frustration about him that really doesn't allow him to battle with a calm and cool mind. Uh, it's like in the dark and against this snowy, tree-laden backdrop. It's just a, it's a phenomenal scene, and it all kicks off with that, uh, that initial portion of the 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 lightsaber responding to Ray the hero of the film. And I love that scene. It's yeah. That, the aesthetics in that scene are unbelievable. I mean, the forest with snow, like any movie with forest snow and fighting I'm in, but with the, the, the red and blue lightsaber contrast against that and the super dramatic music. And obviously like the emotional climax of the film, that was just awesome. Yeah. Super in on that scene as well, and I thought of another, not really even thought of another one during while you were talking about. It. I mean, it's a, a fairly obvious other favorite scene to have was when um, Ray went and uh, grabbed Luke's uh, lightsaber on Tano da- Takodana. I did take notes on the planet names, but I'm uh, not as familiar on these names. <laughs> as I was with the other ones. Um, but when she was on Met Maz's, um, I don't, in that bar and she went down and found the lightsaber and had that whole trippy dream sequence, uh, I really liked that scene. It just felt like a very fast backstory for Rey, uh, not ter- in terms of just like her past, but also like what she's destined for and then also just the visuals of that scene were like unbelievably good. And, and the music was good. And I actually felt scared watching it. It, it. I don't know. I guess JJ Abrams just sort of made the viewer feel like how Ray would feel in that moment. You got to love the, the Obi-Wan Kenobi lines in the backdrop too. You know, I keep reading about these. I didn't hear them, but I guess I wasn't really listening for them either. What was he shouting at her? It, it, it's um, This was actually Ewan McGregor, and they spliced together a little bit of Alec Guinness. Um, it said something like, Ray, this is your for- first step. They use Ray. Now, this is something I think from like the Graham Norton show or something like that, that Ewan McGregor said this. They used Alec Guinness... Uh, he obviously he's never said the he's never said Ray obviously that name but they took the word afraid that Alec Guinness has used and they were able to just cut it down to get the middle Ray part in there and the rest is Ewan McGregor it's very not obvious that it's happening it's kind of like in uh, Attack of the Clones when Qui-Gon is voice and Liam Neeson's voice tells Anakin no, don't commit mass murder right now. Uh, like you really have to be listening for it. Yeah, I, I I will have to listen for these at some point. I'm sure there's YouTube videos for this specific purpose. Yeah, pretty much. Um, to kind of piggyback piggyback off of my best scene, I want to ask this question. We don't have an answer for it yet. Sorry, spoilers alert. We don't have an answer from The Last Jedi for this. Do you think Finn is a Jedi? Um, 
Probably not. I mean, my, my thinking for probably not is it seems, I guess it, it's not really like a genetic thing, but uh, he was a clone trooper. I think he's just like a good soldier. I think very much like, you know, maybe Han actually was, I mean, clearly Han was at least force sensitive. It's possible that Finn is, but I don't really I don't know. I guess the answer is I don't know, and there's not really any sort of uh, empirical evidence you can point to other than him surviving through a bunch of unlikely events, and that seems to be like how the Force um, shows itself in people. What do you think? I think for I think for the sake of the movie, they might focus on just Ray being the one with these abilities. Um, but at the same time, there is a lot of evidence to suggest that he can be if they decided to go that route. So there's, I think I want to say three items that stick out to me most, one of them more so than the others. But the first two include him essentially overcoming the, the programming virtually since he was a young child baby to be a, a stormtrooper and to kill like that's all he's grown up and known but he was able to you know essentially restart his his programming in that area and know the difference between right and wrong um so i, I think that might be a pretty big indicator the fact that he goes you know pretty well toe-to-toe with kylo ren during this uh the third act there with the lightsaber duel he able to get him with a shot to the shoulder with the lightsaber as well um so i think that i mean kyle ren is the master of the knights of ren you know he has some pretty good training in order to beat this guy i know that kylo ren was injured what he's known as the jedi killer though i mean that's why they're called the knights of ren uh, they're named after him because he killed a. He's good at taking Jedi down. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if I'm, I'm trying to think of somebody I can relate this to. If Steph Curry had a sprained ankle and I played basketball against him, Steph Curry would still beat my ass at basketball. Okay, it's Smoke not you. Yeah, I'm not on the same level as him, but if you, <laughs> so that's why I'm I'm thinking here. I'm trying to relate it. Kylo Ren is Steph Curry in this situation. He should be able to take down a regular average person, but Finn holds his own. And my last and most important piece, it's very subtle, is the scene where they use the Star Killer base to blow up the Hosnian system. Planets are getting destroyed. It's like five or six planets. And you hear cries scream out. Now, this is something that other Jedi have felt through the Force. This is, you know, Obi-Wan feels it when Alderaan blows up. Yoda has to take a seat when he understands that all the Jedi are essentially being slaughtered. Uh and you see Finn loading up this spaceship with these two other aliens, and he turns around as if to hear these voices cry out in terror and pain. Um, 
this isn't something that you would and they play the voices and everything like crying out during this scene so it's very subtle but at the same time i think that's something only a force sensitive person would be able to tell and we've had some pretty obvious instances of people being force sensitive but them being dormant and not necessarily practicing these outright hello princess leia what 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 do you think of that argument am i wrong uh i don't think you're wrong uh i do agree with the first two uh if you're gonna argue that finn is force sensitive slash a jedi uh, being able to hold his own against kylo ren is clearly a huge plus um i think perhaps in that scene where all the planets are being obliterated that it was visible throughout the whole system uh just because these are planets exploding and well he he sees it and hears it and he but i also don't around. i don't totally remember this so i it, it is entirely possible that you're 100 percent right i'd probably have to go back and watch this again now for funsies but also just to confirm this theory well, he turns around while this is happening, but if you watch the scene too, the other two aliens that he's with, they don't turn around. Like they don't even look back. Like you would if you thought you heard a entire planet near you blowing up in the sky, you would think you would turn around. Even the most, you know, heartless evil villain in the galaxy would be like, What the hell was that? You yeah, know? Sure. <laughs> oh, come on. Dust too. <laughs> uh but yeah, he he does that without them even even really realizing it. So yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I could. Ben, ben has some force sensitive abilities. That's what the camp I'm in. Yeah, for sure. I definitely could see that. Uh, I, I think that they might make him force sensitive. I don't know how they could handle this in a way that's going to please. I guess they could make him a full on Jedi in the next movie, and people will be fine with it. I guess I. I haven't seen The Last Jedi yet. Um, and if he doesn't display any abilities in that, whatever. But I guess if he's going to become a Jedi at some point, I would prefer to see his abilities come on more slowly just because they haven't really been demonstrated yet. And I would prefer to see like a slower progression just to show like, oh, he's becoming a Jedi. This is what he's going to be versus just instantly being able to like force someone across the room yeah force, I, force push someone across the room and i think that would maybe help distance itself a little bit from the prequels as well where they're very weirdly adamant about a jedi being trained from like the age of six or some shit like that like being super young when, yeah for sure when the original trilogy didn't even start like that it was like with a 16 18 year old luke skywalker so uh confusing um let's get to some of the fun internet research after the movie uh you'll like this one john williams it's his 50th oscar nomination for scoring of for scoring this film extremely 50. deserved 50 i think he was like 89 when he was doing this movie yeah, dude he's old i i know he's slated to do like the next indiana jones movie and the next star wars movie and i'm a little concerned just because like he's real freaking old and uh he's still putting out masterworks like for instance this movie 
Yeah, it'll. I mean, he's just an industry legend. Like he's got to go on the all-time Hollywood Mount Rushmore. Um, this is the third movie in history to gross over two billion dollars. Oh, so I I forgot I wrote that down. They did recoup almost half of what or already over half of what they bought Lucasfilms for with just a singular movie. Um, Jesus. The, the first two movies to gross over $2 billion. I believe this is adjusted for inflation to uh, Titanic and Avatar. So, I mean. Yeah, I mean, this I one. I like this movie better than those two movies. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely appreciate Avatar for what it was, and Titanic probably deserved to be as big as it was, but I like this movie the best out of all of those three. You know, over repeated viewings of those movies, I still kind of don't understand why they were such mega blockbuster hits. Like, I feel like there are a lot better movies out there that should have made oh, a thousand percent. Titanic uh, hit a rom-com and historical um, pivot point, I guess, or just a corner where people are, were really into the the Titanic catastrophe in the late 90s, plus Leo was in it, and um, James Cameron's just a really good director. And, and plus it was, I guess not rom-com. Rom-com is the wrong phrase, but a uh, uh, romantic film. It's super score. I mean, there were just so many so intersections cheesy. of culture in that movie, and it was epic and there's a huge budget and it was I, I i get why it made as much money as it did and i guess i i do get that for avatar as well but mostly just because um it sort of from my perspective it demonstrated what uh 3d technology can do in a movie and i think that was part of the draw of it and people would go to see this movie and go and see it in 3d imax or just 3d and just see like oh this is i don't know they could see the entire planet of pandora and not really not really feel like they're there but like sort of get a scale of what james cameron was going for i think yeah. james cameron is maybe one of the only directors other than like a spielberg or george lucas or i guess in this case a jj abrams who can um create these huge worlds that people will pay a premium to go see because they believe in their um, artic artistic vision. He really hit a, a good point there too, with like the, the IMAX and 3d stuff. Like I don't know anybody who's just nowadays is like, Oh hell yeah, let's go see a 3d movie. Like, no, it's, it's obnoxious and it was a gimmick for a couple of years there. And I think that's where avatar kind of slid right into that mini brief cinematic era um yeah it definitely helped it yeah. i don't think that there's been a 3d movie as big since avatar yeah visually i mean it's still pretty cool to watch so um mark hamill was paid one million dollars for this movie. <laughs> so i think he might have just taken the alec guinness, alec guinness memorial <laughs> MVP award. <laughs> I really wanted to know how much he, money he was contracted for this movie. One million dollars for no 
for speaking no lines and for screen time of less than a minute. Like, as I said before, he was meant to have a larger role. They cut it down because they thought he might (laughs) distract from the main new characters. But good for him. He made a a cool million just to stand there on a rock. And he's been doing fine. He didn't even need the million. Right. He's just like, you know what? Just just throw that in there. And you know what? I bet you he has some sort of weird contract thing where he makes a good amount of money on something else. Um like the George Lucas with the toy rights and advertising. Yeah, Mark Hamill's the like voice, that. the most well known voice of the Joker from the Batman series. He makes bank off that too. Yeah. Um but yeah, her Alec Guinness just lost his mantle as the do the least for the most award. <laughs> the dollars per minute award. What such a high usage rate. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah. His efficiency I, is off the charts. We got to start looking for that in movies. I think that stuff, it's going to be called the Alec Guinness Award. Um, Who else in other movies would be in there? I think Matthew McConaughey and Wolf of Wall Street is in the discussion. Oh yeah, Matthew McConaughey definitely. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of. I, I, I That's wish the I one could that came to mind immediately. So I don't know how many other ones are going to come that easily. But I wish I could say Damon in Interstellar, but he kind of plays a larger role. I think that was just more of a surprise that he just popped up after not being in any of the advertising. Yeah, it feels like he should be in the awards for his role in interstellar but i yeah, i think he's in it for a few minutes too long to be in this discussion oh man i'm gonna start deep diving i mean you obviously get the the random cameos and stuff like that but it's got to be a little bit more than a cameo i think um yeah i think it has to be a f- not a featured role but you have to have enough screen time that people are happy that you're there and it's not like a goof and well, also I'm pretty you have sure... to get paid a million plus dollars for this just to even hold a candle to mark hamill or alec guinness i'm pretty sure mark hamill was second build like i know harrison ford was the top build actor for this movie but i'm pretty sure mark hamill was like second or third like it was it was ford him and carrie fisher that is unbelievable, <laughs> which is pretty freaking amazing. Um, so let's hit up this new cast. Uh, this will be one of the good times we can have for uh, potential casting estimations. Let's start off with Kylo Ren. We're running a, a little short on time here, so we kind of got to go through these quick. Um, Kylo Ren potentials were Michael Fassbender, Hugo Weaving, Lee Pace, Eddie Redmayne and Jimmy Smits. Was that last one a joke? <laughs> <laughs> it was. I just wanted to throw God that in there because we got. <laughs> I would have killed this to have made a reappearance. I was mad that he hadn't made an appearance yet in this podcast. Uh, overall, I thought it was probably good that it was someone relatively unknown. Um, yeah. And plus, I think um, I think that Adam Driver handled like the 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 rage of Kylo Ren better than I could imagine almost anyone else handling it. Like, even if he's in a mask, like smashing his lightsaber and being like, 
eerily calm when his mask is off. When he's talking, worried about how well he handled that. (laughs) I I love Kylo Ren in this movie. I I wanted to talk about that more. It was just I, I love his entire aesthetic, and I love how like he's clearly just like this evil dude, and he's so conflicted. Apparently, he was in character throughout the entire filming too, which is it's that's pretty terrifying for the cast and crew, but also it. It helps his performance. You'll love The Last Jedi then. Um, I don't see anybody else taking over for this. If if it was Michael Fassbender, I would have just been thinking it was Magneto somehow in the Star Wars universe. Like, I I think he would have... I mean, they're both villains, obviously. I think he would have played that (laughs) a little bit too close to that. Um, Can only play so many seminal bad guys. Yeah, exactly. Um, God, I'm so out on Eddie Redmayne. I don't really like him in anything that I've seen. So it's, I would have hated him as Kylo Ren. Have you ever seen, oh man, what's that really bad movie that he's in? That is, it's just terrible. Um, You're going to have to elaborate. Oh man, it's the Danish girl. Oh, hang on. I'm I'm I have to look this up because I have to take like theory of everything. I was very not in on that movie despite it being Oscar nominated. Le Miserable, he's in oh, Jupiter man. Ascending. Jupiter Ascending. Okay, so I wanted that movie to be good because I love Mila Kunis and Channing Tatum is pretty good. He was so bad in that movie. Like if if people saw Eddie Redmayne in the way his performance was in Jupiter Ascending before they saw the Danish girl, they would not have given him that Oscar. Like if I had a vote and I saw Jupiter Ascending and then the Danish girl, I would have been like, no, this guy does not deserve this. He is not a good enough actor for this sort of acclaim and esteem. It, oh man, it was so bad. I'm out on Eddie Redmayne. He's not a good actor. He can only play roles in which he's just going over the top like no like he's got to play stephen hawking in a wheelchair or like a woman (laughs) oddly enough he he can't play like a regular male human being which is like which is super weird i I don't i don't understand like i didn't mind him in the uh as stephen hawking i just thought it was so so overdone um, and also I didn't think that script was as good as the of other movies that year, but I also haven't really seen him in anything else and I'm not, I'm not defending him in any way, shape or form. Fantastic beast and where to find him is he's okay in that, but I don't even, I can't get past it. I don't even like his face in that movie. I didn't like, I didn't see those movies because of the trailers, because of his face in the trailers. So I guess I'm sort of on your side in this one. Colin Farrell steals that movie. He's the best actor in that. <laughs> Colin Farrell uh, sans. Yeah. I, I'm ready for the Colin Farrell sans. Uh, let's move over to Ray. So Daisy Ridley, obviously relatively unknown. We got some knowns in this one, though. Um, so Elizabeth Olsen, Jennifer Lawrence, Shailene Woodley, Billy Lord, Carrie Fisher's daughter, and Felicity Jones, who ended up playing 
Jin Erso and Rogue One anyway, were all rumored to be attached to the role uh, in some form or were talked about what happened. Were they going for a specific look? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love Daisy Ridley. I, I think she's super great and she's just... She's got this older style look to her. I'm not saying she's old in any way, but she just looks like a, a more classic, older, older film genre type of look. Like I, I can see her being like if you threw her in a time machine and threw her back to like the 1950s, she could be in a movie like in that era as well. Like I agree with that sentiment wholly. Yeah, I really like Daisy Ridley a lot. I think she's just inherently likable. She just has this quality. It's like Carrie Fisher, but not as strong, obviously, um, where you're just drawn to her when she's on the screen. And every you just sort of hang on every word she says. And she, maybe that's her real-life Jedi mind trick, is that she's just able to make you like her no matter what scene she's in it's it's really uncanny i don't know how uh they can cast these characters that have that ability through all these different movies but it's it's impressive yeah not for this role but i just want this on the record that i really love elizabeth olsen i think she's really fantastic and just about everything she does a thousand percent not sure i'm seeing her quite as a jedi love her as scarlet witch i think she's fantastic but uh yeah jennifer lawrence shailene woodley not really buying it they they already have their tentpole franchises and it's one of those things where if katniss was ray i would lose my goddamn mind yeah exactly we talked about this before it's like yeah if you have actors with with that level of notoriety already and already having been in several franchises then you can't look you can't look past that like it's hard to see it's Um, part of the whole diversity in casting thing like not just demographics but also like i just want to see different actors and actresses play different uh tentpole roles yeah uh with poe dameron um so Joel Edgerton was talked about, even though he already played uh, Luke Skywalker's uncle in the prequel trilogy, which is kind of weird. Otherwise, Michael Fassbender's X-Men counterpart, James McAvoy, was talked about, as well as Chiwetel Ojiofor. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, yeah, Chiwetel Ojiofor. I think he would have been pretty good. I like him as an actor. Uh, not entirely uh, overly well known. I think he would have slotted into that role pretty well, but I, th- I think Oscar Isaac's pretty damn good. Yeah, and he just pulls off the the fighter pilot aesthetic. I I, I don't know. He he nails the he nails it. I I, I liked him immediately, and I loved his chemistry with Finn immediately. He's just a really good actor. I like him a lot. Yeah, uh, no complaints there. Um, not not really looking at James McAvoy for that role. Um, speaking of Finn, uh, his 
partner in bromance. Uh, I only have two names written down. Uh, Jesse Plemons. Uh, you'll most notably know him from Breaking Bad and Friday he Night was, Lights. He was not in the discussion for this. I. That's what I have written down. I don't know if it was serious or if that was just a bad rumor, but... What's the other name? Uh, Ray Fisher. Um, so he's primarily a uh, stage actor. He's he's uh, cyborg in Justice League right now. Um, but he was the other one that was talked about for Finn. Jesse Which... Plemons? <laughs> are, you, are you kidding me? Yes, Jesse Matt Plemons. Damon? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know... Okay, I don't know where that came from. And yeah, that's just that's an odd one, isn't it? So like I liked him in Breaking Bad, but the reason was because he's like a fucking creepy looking dude. He's like he has this dead-eyed stare that makes him good for like a neo-Nazi meth dealer who like is trying to kill little kids. I I I can't see him being a hero in the Star Wars universe. And I didn't see Friday Night Lights, but he just doesn't have a face where I could see him being Finn. I see. I know, know him primarily. Well, not primarily, but firstly from Friday Night Lights because I watched that before Breaking Bad, and uh, <laughs> I think he's he could have. I, I don't like him. <laughs> I think he could have done it. Honestly, I think he could have done the role. I'm I sure like. He's a very talented actor, and I'm sure that I'm very biased. Uh, but come on, man. <laughs> I like, I like John Boyega. I think it's great to have an African American number two in the movie. Also, yeah, um, out of the three between um, Jesse Plemons, Ray Fisher, and John Boyega, I clearly would rather have it never be Jesse Plemons. <laughs> and Ray Fisher, uh, I, looks like a nice enough guy. <laughs> I don't know. I think John Boyega nails this one. Yeah, um, he's. He was going to voice that in his native British accent, but then they decided that wasn't feeling very right, so they gave him an American accent too. Um, that's just a little little tidbit about Finn. That's pretty um, neat. So we talked pretty heavily at the top of the pod about J.J. Abrams. There are other directors that were discussed to be brought in for this film. It's basically a, a who's who of famous directors. Uh, you got... Matthew Vaughn, Steven Spielberg, Guillermo del Toro, Peter Jackson, Christopher Nolan, Ben Affleck, Joss Whedon, uh, Ryan Johnson, who did The Last Jedi, and James Cameron. Um, I like what J.J. Abrams did with this. I think these other directors would have been able to put their own sort of touch on it, and it would have probably been close to the same movie. Put on the list one more time. Um, Matthew Vaughn, Spielberg, Spielberg, Guillermo del Toro, uh, Peter Jackson, Christopher Nolan, Ben Affleck, Joss Whedon, Ryan Johnson, James Cameron. Okay, I'm I'm just partially doing this so I can like look up a couple of these guys' most famous movies. I think they did make the right decision. I mean, just given the box office results of this, they made the right decision. Yeah. I mean, Spielberg would have been probably the closest to the same movie as Abrams. 
Um, Ryan Johnson definitely put, he's the best director of a Star Wars film, though, I have to say, right as it stands right now. Uh, Christopher Nolan, his Star That's Wars too iteration. Much. They would have been be trying way too hard with that. And also, he would have made it a lot more complicated than it needs to be. Like, I, yeah, oh, it would be, it would be super self serious. Yeah, I love I, Nolan, might be my favorite director, but it, he's not right for Star Wars. Yeah, it, it would have been super, super self serious. Um, at the same time, I'm glad it's not Matthew Vaughn either. I mean, I do like his movies a lot, but I also don't think that it's not that he's not serious enough, but kick ass and Kingsman type of movies, I think, are a little bit different than what you're going for in terms of tone between um, one of those movies and a Star Wars movie. Yeah, and I also read that his reasoning for not accepting the directorial spot was because of creative differences that were related to not wanting a a female lead. What? I'm I'm not sure if that's because... First of all, I'm not 100% sure this is true. This is just random internet research i haven't heard it from his mouth or anything but i i don't know if that's because he doesn't genuinely feel like he can like do a female lead justice and be able to provide that same voice that like say a patty jenkins or ava duvernay would be able to provide but that when i read that i was like wow that's super douchey and i'm glad that he did not accept that spot and and then when you look at his other movies then you're just kind of like oh like i mean you mentioned mentioned kingsman and kick-ass and obviously he's just super into having like the male lead be the the hero and the central focal point so it's like hey man you just described 75 percent of hollywood directors (laughs) i mean yeah essentially yeah, I, like, and it's largely been fine, but for someone to explicitly say that is not great. I don't know. That's it does make me judge him a little bit differently. And man, what a douchey thing to say. Yeah, I'm not sure of the like the context of it, um, but yeah, that that's kind of the the element. Um, does Kylo's rip? <clears throat> Excuse me. Does Kylo Ren's ship seem like really, really large to you? Uh, it's just super big. Yes. Like in every scene, I notice that like it's a huge ship. It's modeled after like the transport that like the Emperor takes in. Yeah, for sure. Strikes back. Or but I always turn. notice like when it's taking off, it's like seven times as big as any other ship. I mean, hey, it's a flex. It's a flex move, you know. <laughs> Size matters. <laughs> um, okay, so let's wrap up a little bit. Uh, Harrison Ford was paid twenty-five million dollars for his role in this. Um, <whistles> spoiler alert: Harrison Ford's character Hansel, rest in peace. He does not make it to the end of this movie he finally gets the heroic death that he's been lobbying for since empire strikes back and he gets paid 25 million dollars 
Hey, for don't one spoil movie. this for me, but uh, I'm still holding out hope that he comes back in the next movie. I'm probably going to see it tomorrow, but you know, what? You in, never inter- know. in interviews, he never mentions or doubts that Han Solo comes back in any form or way. It's not a complete retirement of the character. And of course, as we've seen, he's come back to do Indiana Jones like 30 years later. And obviously he did Han Solo 30 years later. So it's not entirely out of the question. Um, Uh, Did you like uh, Chewie's slightly grayed hair in this one? I didn't really notice that much. But Chewie is like 700 years old, isn't he? Uh, I don't know if he's that old, but I, I, I noticed his hair was not as, um, it's definitely a little bit less organized. If, if nothing else, I thought there were a couple of, uh, uh, gray streaks in Chewie's fur, maybe not hair. Hair might be the wrong term when you're covered in it. Probably just stress. Um, <laughs> who's your MVP? Uh, uh, um, most valuable character MVC. <laughs> uh, I'm making jokes to delay a little bit. It, it's a little bit hard in this movie. I, I want to say Han Solo, as always, just because he's Han Solo. Probably, um, I, and I think it's got to be Ray. She makes she makes shit happen. She obviously is sort of the main character and um, is instrumental in getting her and Finn off of looking up the name of the ship, Jakku or the planet Jakku. And uh, she's a good pilot. She's good on her feet. Uh, When they're on board that ship, uh, the Aravana with um, Han Solo and Chewie trying to get away from that alien um, she she saves Finn from the huge tentacle monster, Rathtar. Sure, I. Uh, she, yeah, and, my, and she she does come into her own at the end. I mean, she stands up to Kylo Ren. Um, yeah, and I haven't seen the new movie, but I'm going to take it on good faith that she plays a, a pretty major part in it, just based on um on some guesses. Yeah, my MVP is definitely Ray um because she is she's the hero from nowhere, you know, she is just a a, a character scavenging for parts on old ships and she she doesn't do everything herself, you know, she's not the she's not the one that's, you know, bullseyeing the the vent on the Death Star or anything like that, but she's got a lot of help from some supporting characters. But if I'm if I'm starting a franchise, I'm drafting Ray out of this uh, out of this new trilogy because just untapped potential. She doesn't even know that she has the like ability to use the Force, but she finally figures it out when uh, Kylo is like interrogating her. She can start to feel it. And then she gets Daniel Craig Stormtrooper to let her go. And then Wait, that was Daniel Craig? Yeah, that was his Like I knew he was in this. I sort of figured that he like I had read he was in this, but I didn't know which scene. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was the cameo. That was him. Um a a little tidbit. He I think he asked to 
be in the movie. He was filming Spectre at the time. And um, I think they were on like the the lot over or something like they were filming on the same studio a lot. <laughs> That's um, unbelievable. It must yeah. be nice. Right? Yeah, a Hollywood actor just like walk on. Hey, I want to be in this. And it was great that he was a stormtrooper, so it wasn't super distracting. Um, yeah, definitely Ray. Ike Barinholtz Award for the most un- underutilized character slash actor, actress of the film. Do you have anybody you can think of possibly that you're just like, I need more of that person in this movie? <laughs> uh, Jimmy Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Smith, where art thou? Either him or or Porkins. Porkins. I need Jimmy Smith in his red uh, convertible spaceship to just drive up and save the day. Porkins. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, on a serious note, um, I don't know. Probably we could have used more Poe. He, he was in this movie for a, a fair amount of it and definitely played a crucial role. Uh, but I really did. L- I really, really liked Oscar Isaac when he was on, on the scene, when you could see his face and when he had lines, I really, really liked him. Um, so I don't spoil it for the new ones. I'm hoping he's in it a lot and doesn't die. <laughs> I'm watching your face. So close. <laughs> originally they were going to kill Paul off. Like the when the ship crashes, like that was supposed to be the end of Poe when it crashes on Jakku, like in the f- first act, and that was kind of leading to Oscar Isaac, like whether or not he wanted to accept the role, um, because he didn't want to just have this role and to be killed off right away. But I'm not, sh- I couldn't find, I never found out what happened to them changing it. They just made him show up later in the film. Maybe it was a scheduling issue where he had to film two completely separate parts. I don't know. But my IB award winner is Lupita Nyong'o, Maz Kanata. Okay, she's the Oscar-winning Lupita Nyong'o, and she's in this film. Not only is she just playing an animated alien which is a total misuse of her abilities and skills anyway because i need her on screen at all times but she does not get enough screen time she's in there for the second act she is hilarious first of all um and great when she's on there but man i could have used her definitely in like the last portion of the movie too maybe being on the rebel base know helping leia out or something like that um man i i could have used more maz Kanata and she she was definitely underutilized and an actor or actress of lupita nyango's stature and i know they did a lot of things right in terms of casting for diversity in this but swinging a miss on that one yeah i feel like they have so many people that want to be in these movies and they have to make these like tough decisions and it's must suck to be the director and to have to cut people like that out of this movie just because I, I guess it must be just time constraints, which sucks because like 
you have so much talent that wants to be in this enormous movie and you have plenty of time to put everyone in, but you also want to have a coherent story and it must be tough. I, I can't imagine how much pressure that these directors are under. Yeah. It, it's gotta be odd because you got to think about the movie first. So, uh, but let's wrap up with best line. Um, for me, it's either Chewy or Home, or a secondary one is when they're on the planet trying to figure out how they're going to destroy the Star Killer base, and it's Finn, Han, and Chewie. And Finn goes, "We'll figure it out. We'll use the Force." And Han Solo is like, "That's not how the Force works." I just thought that was hilarious. Like this, this person, Han Solo, who originally thought it was just mumbo jumbo religion is now like i know how this works and that's not how this works and that line was just delivered so hilariously uh mine's one of these aforementioned humorous parts where uh han solo harrison ford goes uh have i ever not delivered for you before (laughs) and the other guys (laughs) yes the other guys go twice and chewie just goes Yep. <laughs> Name the second time. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, good yeah, I love lines. that. Uh, again, there's the humor in this hits so much better. Um, yeah. Than any of the other movies, just Han Solo being cheeky and just generally the, all the, all the lines being more, I think more tailored to us than 1970s people. Yeah, I also like the the initial part where they um where Ray and Finn are first introduced to Han Solo and Finn's like the rebel general and Ray's like the famous smuggler. Like he knows Han or Finn knows Han Solo as a rebel general, obviously, because he was in the first order, that sort of thing. But um I, I like how Ray just throwing it back old school and she's like oh i know him as a smuggler like that's og yeah i really like that choice to make the script like that to make them have just different understandings of this person this legend in their universe essentially just a living legend like it helps you really understand like that's where we're at in this world is like luke skywalker is a legend and general leia is a legend and yeah that definitely a, a, a good a good writing there by our good pal lawrence kasdan just coming in and throwing 100 mile per hour fastballs um can we, we talk about kylo ren for like a, a minute oh we should save that for the last jedi because i you'll have a lot more to talk about for kylo ren trust me all right. Does he wear his helmet a lot in the new movie? Spoilers. Not really. Yeah, okay. Um, then I want to talk about it right now. He looks so much cooler than Darth Vader. I like him so much better. He doesn't have the <laughs> the uh, COPD thing where he's just like breathing way too hard into it. He looks like he's actually athletic and like he could actually take down a Jedi. He looks very menacing and speaks like uh, a Sith Lord should have. Yeah, I mean, obviously Darth Vader's like just this big 
bulky like embodiment of evil whatever kylo yeah. ren looks like he could freaking light luke skywalker up yeah i mean he looks like he's like a cross between darth vader and darth maul like if those two had, had written down a, a, a a bastard sith baby and it would be kylo ren just like, like the evil crossed with like badass athleticism yeah exactly i mean kylo ren is super evil but also he looks like he could dunk on you good just wanted to get that out there <laughs> all right well uh we'll be hitting you with the last jedi in a little while here podchat listeners uh, we're going to have Quinn from the DC Universe uh, stream of podcasts hop on, and we're going to do a three-person talk. This one went uh, pretty long. We had a lot of thoughts on it, but I have a feeling The Last Jedi, especially with based on how long The Last Jedi is as a movie, that one might go a little bit longer. But hang in there with us. We hope you are enjoying it. Um, any last thoughts, Roger? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at R-O-G underscore P-O-D-G-E. That's Raj underscore Podge. Uh, I don't have that many hot takes on Twitter these days, but uh, if, if you follow me, I'll probably follow you back. You never know. You might see some nice retweets. Uh, and as always, please subscribe to the Podchat show. Yeah, subscribe. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Um, and this is Jordan Smith at Jordan underscore Smith 27 on Twitter. If you want to follow me, um, this will probably be the last time you hear us before the new year. So everybody enjoy, have a safe and happy new years and may the force be with you. Girl, you drive me crazy. I'll call you my baby. We can sleep in late.